1: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. Happy to be here as we are every week to break down what happened in week four of Conference USA football as well as get into some week five previews. Uh, Eric, it was a busy weekend for myself. Uh, I know you were uh, manning the the back end of Underdog Dynasty throughout most of the weekend. Uh, How'd your weekend go?
0: Man, Joe, uh, first off, you know, I want to say I had a chance to get with you as far as the weekend's concerned. And, you know, happy anniversary and the things that, you know, the uh, things that you were celebrating over the weekend. So I want to wish you congrats again on that publicly. But as far as manning manning the ship, it it was nice because this is the first weekend or was the first weekend since November or December of 2019 that I have not traveled for an FIE road game. So it was nice to... Watched the game from the friendly confines of my desk slash couch and had no troubles at all holding down the fort. You know, if there were any tweets that came from the account that you liked, you're welcome. Anyone that didn't, blame Jared Kalmas. It works for me.
1: <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, yeah, usually when we have a tweet that gets us in trouble, it's me. So that was a nice change of pace. Uh. <laughs> i glad you noted that on the air. No, for sure. I mean, I feel like people kind of assumed anyway, but uh, yeah, no, it was, we had a lot of close games. um, So I don't want to, you know, take up too much time with, with small talk so we can get into those. But uh, with uh, first off, let's talk about the game that happened on Thursday night, Marshall and App State. App State took that one 31 to 30, Uh, 283 rush yards for the Mountaineers in that one. 283 pass yards as well. Uh, You literally can't have a more balanced offensive attack than that. But I want to make special mention of that rushing game for App State because of the extra seven minutes of possession that it allowed the Mountaineers because in a game this close, it obviously makes a world of difference. Uh, Also, eight penalties for Marshall is something that I feel like you really need to clean up. That's starting to become kind of a persistent issue for Marshall, unfortunately. Uh, I will say though, you saw some continued improvement from Grant Wells in this game. No interceptions for him. Uh, looks relatively accurate. Uh, so if you're Coach Huff, you can still accomplish everything that you want to over the course of this season. Can definitely still contend for CoSA East. Uh, maybe even you know take a run at whoever comes out of the West. Uh, but two close losses like this in a row have to be frustrating.
0: Yeah, Joe. Right. So we've talked about with marshall's fan base and i'm this is no means am i trying to you know come down the fan base they have high expectations rightfully so marshall is a program that has performed well over the better part of the past 25 years and always seemed to be right on that cusp of just breaking through that next level in terms of the upper echelon of g5s right but this is the type of game this and last week are the types of games that they wanted when doc holiday was head coach right and they felt that they had reached their plateau their ceiling was you know eight and five or nine and four i'm not coming here to judge coach charles huff on four game sample size right you and i've spoken not only when we had a chance to talk with him during the off season but leading up to the year we are big believers in coach huff and the things that he'll be able to do right but it's going to take some time i think for marshall fans the big thing is to quote aaron Rodgers. R E L A X relax. And that's tough, right? Cause I understand if you're, if you're part of the fan base and you lose these games by such a small margin, you want the win. So I, I want to express, you know, to fans, I get both sides of the coin but I look at the continued continued progression of Grant Wells. And one of the things we spoke about last weekend was him cutting down on the turnovers, the completion percentage still is 18 to 33. So what's that like 54%, something like that. You'd like to see that improve a little bit, but still all in all, there were some passes that, you know, uh, probably should have been completed as receivers didn't haul and, and. Biggest thing for me. And again, maybe I'm just naturally a glass half full person. So you can send all your hate tweets or complaints to me at Eric C. Henry underscore on Twitter. This team just feels like they're in good position as they enter conference USA East play right now. Sure. The run defense that and App State's known for being a good running team. Right. So you don't want to put too much stock in that. But when you know you're going to face the likes of FAU that can run the football and, you know, some of the other teams in CUSA East that, that have shown proficiency around the football, uh, you know, and, and for even FIE who's struggling right now. They have a heck of a running back in Devontae Price. You want to get those things buttoned up? But all things considered, they had a 10, they had, was it a, a nine point lead or eight point lead uh, going to the fourth quarter, I believe, for, you know, App State scored 10 unanswered points. And those things are going to happen. But all in all, I just feel like, as you mentioned, the, the goals of winning Conference USA, the East and, and the conference, are still in play. But I can understand Marshall fans' frustration that these are the games that they felt they were losing under Doc Holliday and wanted to see a change with now Charles Huff.
1: Yeah, you know, with this one, I definitely understand kind of the added frustration, especially when you go back to, like, the fact that App State and Marshall are long-time rivals, like, dating back to their FCS days or Division I AA days. Uh, And then, like, you know, especially just with how close these are and what non-conference wins, like, really mean in terms of, like, building your resume when it comes to, like, bowl games and, and national rankings and all that. But at the same time, like... You know, knowing Coach Huff, you could see his you know excitement slash frustration on the sidelines, and I would you know be worried if he wasn't displaying that kind of emotion when his team is in these heated games. Uh, But at the same time, based on our interactions with him, you have to think he he understands that the position his team is in is still solid. They have all of conference play ahead of them, and uh, look, they're still you know showcasing one of the best uh, defenses in the league so far, but they got to clean up the penalties and they got to display a little bit
0: more disciplined football in my opinion yeah and you know what joe i mean those are things that again i'm not trying to let marshall off the hook right because the good teams the great teams the ones that go on to win division titles conference titles and you know win top 25 teams for the most part they clean those things up right but at the same point in time joe especially in college football you can point to teams 50 if not 60 70 percent of teams in college football, they struggle with penalties. Right? It's not they will have a game in which they can play a clean game, but then you're going to have inconsistencies where you're going to have those games with eight, nine, ten penalties where they're timely, and those things. Listen, I know that fans don't like to hear those answers and that answer from a coach in some, you know, venues, but those things really do kill you when it comes to winning these games like this. Right? It's the difference between holding a fourth quarter lead and blowing it, or you know, the, losing a game by one score or less, or winning. So. Sure point yeah and i mean
1: app state too for coming up in the clutch the way that they did and you hope that marshall can learn from it and perform that way in future games um but you know the rush offense is improving grant wells is, is slowly improving but he's getting back to where he was at the beginning of last season when we had all the hype around him so uh curious to see how they continue to develop as they get into conference play here now let's talk about uh, charlotte and middle tennessee for a second Uh, in my opinion the best game in terms of entertainment value that we saw all weekend over 500 total yards of offense for both teams four touchdowns for chris reynolds five for chase cunningham as he steps in for the departed bailey hockman eric so far i think grant debose is my pick for cusa newcomer of the year uh just in terms of the amount of like important plays that he's come up with. Like, you know, you can talk about Bailey Zappi performing extremely well uh, also, but we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, but DeVos in this game, nine catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Uh, if there's one thing I think Charlotte really needs to clean up, it's the fumbles. But um, you know, if you're Will Healy, um, not the most comfortable win at home, but uh, you know, you have to be happy about a, you put on a really good show in front of a home crowd and on, a national TV network with CBS sports network. And, uh, the fact that you're, you know, big high caliber star players are doing what you expected them to do.
0: Yeah, Joe. So it's interesting. You mentioned Grant Debose, right? And you mentioned Bailey Zappi as well. I'll put in FIU's Tyrese Chambers, who's second in the nation in yards per catch is another guy, I believe he's third overall in CUSA in receiving yards. But yeah, Grant Debose has certainly come in and made a heck of an impact. And, that's what happens. I don't want to take anything, any, take anything away from Grant, but when you're playing opposite side, a, a guy like Vic Tucker, who you see at any time down the stretch is capable of rattling off three, four five catches in a row and really being that playmaker opportunity is going to come your way. So, I mean, if the long run and, and the, big picture for Charlotte, you got to be excited that you got a true number two. And yes, I'm calling a number two. I still think it's, you know, Vic Tucker's the, the top receiver in that team. But that's something they've wanted for a couple of years with guys like Cameron Dollar and, and others, you know, who they've had there. So if they can get that type of production, that's huge. You mentioned things you want to clean up with Charlotte. This run, you know, defense with, with Charlotte, I'll mention this they performed well against middle tennessee because obviously middle tennessee struggled against struggled to run and that is promising right But i want to see them do that consistently against teams who are really capable run threats right so they get you know kudos for their performance this week but i want to see how they can carry that into future performances and from the middle tennessee side of things it's interesting because we talked a lot last week about the transition from bailey hockman now to chase cunningham and listen I am not going to take anything away from Chase Cunningham's performance. He had a hell of a ball game, five touchdowns. I mean, I, I had a chance to watch this one from start to finish and was really impressed with the way he stepped in there and you know did some things on the ground as well. It's just going to be interesting to watch, big picture. Hey, if they can put up 39 points a game, then what I'm about to say will be moot and you know null and void. But you and I talked about the fact that they want to transition from Asher O'Hara to Bailey Hockman, and then you look at the numbers, Bailey Hoffman, nine carries for 60 something yards and, you know, was scrambling around a lot there. So they're essentially playing that same style of offense that they shifted away from last year. Right. So again, you can't live in the past. I just think it is something worth noting that that was the dedicated shift to get away from that. And more importantly, to involve the running backs in the ball game that still isn't there yet. Right. You look at middle Tennessee's running backs and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. But there was a point in which I, I believe they were averaging less than 3.4 3.3 yards per carry just from the backs so they'll have to get that going if they can kind of you know build anything off of believe whether they're one and three if memory serves me correct yeah one and three and oh and two in the conference so uh if they're gonna be able to get the six wins i just think they're gonna need more from the rushing attack so we'll see how things play out but all in all, I would say this is probably the best performance from Rick Stocksell's club of the year. I mean, the win over an FCS team, you know, it's not really what I'm going to be impressed by. So give him credit for that, and we'll see how it transitions going forward. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention Middle Tennessee, even though they're uh, –
1: obviously they weren't the winners in this game, but it seems like most of the conversation post game was centered around the improvement that Middle Tennessee showed in this game, and specifically the way that, that Chase Cunningham was able to kind of step up and handle that QB1 spot we still really didn't see kind of a feature back uh, shine through for them. But uh, Chase Cunningham did have something of a a strong game on the ground in addition to his performance through the air, nine carries for 65 yards. So not quite what we would see from like, you know, Asher O'Hara when he was under center for MTSU, but definitely showed flashes of that that kind of performance. So, you know, Eric, I, I wanted to ask you this since, you know, this was kind of the center of our conversation surrounding him last week uh seeing what you saw out of chase cunningham and the uh the not so subtle ribbing you got from emily van buskirk and her gamer do you still consider chase cunningham asher o'hara light
0: well i want to make this clear right so you know <laughs> um i didn't mean that as a slight on on chase cunningham or asher o'hara i want to make this a bunch sure. of a point, right I, <laughs> so the statement was one that i made first off i made it in a in a uh, uh, UDD slack channel so uh there's that but that aside it was in relation to the thing that i just mentioned which was the way that they were looking to shift in the offense right yeah. I, it's a question i asked rick stocks so on media day when you make the, tr- the, the transition away from tony franklin what were you looking for right so it seems as if just based on the style of play that they are now having to elicit from the quarterback position they're getting virtually the same thing they got from asher o'hara right now we will see and again i want to make this clear like this was not a slide on chase cunningham i mean he had a hell of a game it's just going to be interesting to see because you had someone who was one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the nation prior and now you're moving to someone who isn't as tested or proven right so um to answer your question it's not necessarily about whether chase cunningham can be asher o'hara it's as much as what can that offense get in terms of the things that rick Stockstill, still out of his own mouth said that he wanted to shift towards in 2021 as i mentioned the russian game is still one that from the running backs is still one that's amongst the, the you know least performing in fbs football so we'll see what happens and by all means you know i'll be interested i, I listen i'll be at floyd stadium when fiu takes on uh, middle tennessee so i'll have a chance to watch it for myself and we'll see what happens yeah the chase cunningham
1: to Asher o'hara comparisons I, I don't know why anyone would really take that as an insult um, at all. And I mean, look, we knew that Chase Cunningham was a solid uh, guy who could run when he needs to. When he came to NTSU, and the fact that he's getting to show that now is uh, great. Um, you know, I when Bailey Hawkins was on the team, he should have he you know stepped away for totally understandable family reasons. But now that Chase Cunningham is getting his shot, you know, I think you have to feel you know, pretty good about having someone who can, you know, take advantage of those running lanes when they present themselves. But like you said, it's extremely weird that uh Coach Stock still has, you know, made the statements that he's made about needing to shift offensive philosophy. But now they're kind of in you know, they're kind of in a, a situation where they have to embrace that that older philosophy
0: in order to really kind of stay afloat and see USA East. Exactly. And like I said, that'll be the thing because if you know, for listeners who may not know, this, I'm sure you know you've heard us talk about this in previous podcasts. But just in case you're new to the podcast, when you have a Amir Rasul, who's a former five-star recruit at Florida State, you bring him in. You bring a Martel Petway who ran for a shade under 700 yards of West Virginia. They made a dedicated effort to bring in backs in conjunction with Shaton Mobley, who was the last back for Middle Tennessee to run for more than 550 yards. Did that three years ago. So this will be interesting to watch. You know, I, I hope just in terms of sheer depth. They have plenty of guys who are talented. It's just a matter of things opening up on the offensive line and opportunities, you know, throughout the uh, the, the shape of the offense for them to gain yards. Absolutely. And we'll see if uh, MTSU can capitalize on this momentum.
1: Certainly, we stick the philosophy that there are no moral victories, but at the same time, you have to be, uh, you know, If you're an MTSU fan, your ears have to be perked up a little bit by seeing what Chase Cunningham was able to do uh, against a team that's getting a lot of the media attention in COSA East this year and, and deservedly, in my opinion. But uh, with that, then let's move on and talk about the FIU loss to central Michigan over the weekend. Uh, Panthers lose that one, 27 to 31. Uh, Look, 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter by central Michigan leads them to the close victory here. Um, So that's how we got this result. Uh, Eric, you know better than anybody, 42 rushing yards by FIU is a problem here. Um, You want to think that, the problem is deeper than just a bad quarter here and uh, on a larger scale it is but here there's just not really an excuse for how bad that fourth quarter was for FIU in my opinion
0: yeah this one was really tough to watch and as I mentioned this is the first road game in almost two years I haven't traveled to (laughs) Joe this is what happens as you mentioned the 32 carries for 42 yards. And if you take out Max Bortenschlager's sack yards, that number is closer to 90 yards, but still. Um, Devontae Price, 17 carries for 50 yards, that's not efficient, right? Uh, Sean Peterson, 9 for 40, that's a nice average of 4.4, but if you take out his 12-yard gain, it's 8 for 28. Give credit to Central Michigan. They did a hell of a job where they could not get anything going in terms of the run game that really hurt FIU because as I've mentioned on this podcast and on radio and pretty much everywhere else that I talk about the Panthers, they have to stay out of those second and third and longs. And you look at the quarterback play, Joe, Max Bortenschlager, 20th, 38th for 395, two touchdowns, the one pick. You look at his numbers overall, I believe he's fourth in Conference USA in passing yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. The numbers don't look that bad, but the thing with Max, and it's tough, i will absolutely go ahead joe and concede my bias here max is a kid it's very easy to root for just a humble down-to-earth soft-spoken midwestern indiana kid like very easy to root for and you kind of want him to do well right but he'll be the first one to tell you there are throws within the past two or now three weeks that he wishes he had back his completion percentage just is is not up to par in relation to you know really where the offense is trying to go in specificity to the fourth quarter you talk about it was a matter of the offense stalling out, and quite frankly, Central Michigan, Daniel Richardson, the former starter who was benched for the former five-star recruit in Washington, and Jacob Sermian, they put him in, you know, Jim McElwain put him in, in the fourth quarter or going into the fourth quarter, and he responded. He's able to use his legs to kind of escape the FIU pass rush that had really kind of stifled the passing game early on, and FIU just really had no answer. I mean, I guess the two other things I'll mention as far as this game is concerned Rashard games, Joe had a hell of a game. He forced FIU's first forced turnover of the year, five tackles, one interception. Then he goes and blocks a punt in the third quarter, recovers his own block, takes it in for the, for the uh, scoop and score it to, at the time, put FIU up 28 to 10. It looks like they're going to go away with this one. Of course, what happened the fourth quarter. And then probably the one, the decision that has most FIU fans upset is with about a little over a minute, 45 left and central Michigan, had no timeouts, Butch Davis, on a third and two, chose to pass the ball instead of running. And, you know, some FIU fans felt that, you know, why not run and extend the clock? I see both sides of it. One, if you're FIU and you haven't been able to run the football efficiently, there's no guarantee that you're just going to get that third down conversion right and end the game. If you're, you know, with the other side of things, in terms of the people who really want to just run the ball, when you kind of saw the wheels coming off, Joe, little by little by little with the comeback, I guess it's a matter of leave them as little time as possible to potentially win that game. Unfortunately for Butch Davis, it didn't work out. So they got a tough opponent coming up this week, and uh, I'll be back with the Panthers in focus, So we'll see what happens.
1: On that note, Eric, um, do you think opposing defensive coordinators are starting to figure out Devontae Price a little bit too much for Butch Davis's
0: liking? Yeah, Joe, so kind of touch on your question there, and it's a unique one. I don't necessarily know that opposing defenses are picking up on his style per se, although it's a fair point you raise. I think the big thing is, listen, and, you know, you know, this is someone who's watched a ton of football. It's one thing when you come in and you're kind of like that little surprise player, kind of like, let's say, Grant DeBose, right? This time next year, everyone's going to know who Grant DeBoes is, right? And they'll find ways to shift coverages towards him, and he'll, it, things will become more challenging. Devontae Price is a guy who everyone's known as really good, but you didn't know how good he was because he still was behind the Anthony Jones and Napoleon Maxwells. Now that he is the guy, it's very interesting. Joe, I had a chance to listen to Texas Tech's, post-game presser after I finished my presser with Butch Davis and Love it. And I heard two of the defensive players, I didn't catch their names. It was a linebacker and a safety say that the entire week they were dedicated to making Max Bortenschlager beat them because it wasn't going to be price. So that's the kind of attention you get when the gym naggies of the world are talking about you and you go five for one sixty five and three scores, right? When you have that kind of and, and and you know coming off the year he had last year. So at this point, I think it's a matter of teams keying in on him. And this is going to make things a little more challenging. So the FIU offense, as far as offensive line, will have to adjust. And quite frankly, as I mentioned with Bortenschlager, he's only completing about 53, 54% of his passes. Those things will have to open up as well because it's a lot different when you're running out of second and mediums and second and shorts as opposed to running out of second and eight you know, and third and and sevens and trying to pick up yards that way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, look, in G5 football, to build up a little star power, Devontae Price has you know it's only a matter of before you kind of run into these slow days and people start people like me <laughs> start to question you uh but then again you know there's plenty of football left so you know, he's able to rebound and how FIU were able to rebound the team specifically uh with that let's look into TSA and Memphis a big out of conference win for uh Conference USA and specifically for UTSA a tough win on the road in what's usually pretty uh not hostile, because I don't want to insult Memphis fans, but uh, a tough environment to win if you are the road team there. And the road runners two-yard game-winning field goal for Hunter Duplessis is what put UTSA over the edge. Uh, what really kind of stood out to me about this game was Sincere McCormick, and he got 42 touches for 184 yards. And four touchdowns. And it's his best game of the season so far and the most carries he's had in a single game in his career. So, you know, when you talk about like a, you know, a boy-to-man moment for Sincere McCormick, this definitely stands out. Not that he hasn't already proven himself, as he's, you know, shown numerous times, but in a game like this, against an undefeated opponent on the road, uh, hostile for lack of a better word, environment, he got the job done. And I think a lot
0: of people took notice of that absolutely first want to start with UTSA was really impressed with the resolve they showed Joe there's two ways of looking at it right you can say oh well Memphis blew it they got up to the early lead and they weren't able to hold things and sure if you want to view it that way that's fine but the way I'm going to look at it is UTSA I'm sure there are plenty of roadrunner fans who over the previous administration the Frank Wilson era would have said all right we're down 21-0 there goes the ball game right it's time to you know I, I can get an early start on you know doing DIY projects or honeydew projects around the house or whatever it may be. But no, this team is more than talented enough. Frank Harris is more than talented enough as a quarterback. And as you mentioned, Sincere McCormick, he had, and I was toying with whether I want to say it was his Spencer Brown-like day or his Devin Singletary-like day. The one where you get uh, 25 carries now, nah, that, that you're just scratching the surface. You're going 35 plus. And he responded in, in kind, and it just goes to show you how good he is it's the one thing that i just hope for sincere mccormick's sake running backs anyone who's you know played football or is a keen observer football they kind of a carry count right there's a certain amount of time you, you get too many carries and then you know it's not great for your um pro success you can look at former ucf running back kevin smith as an example joe i, I don't know if that's too, too dated of a reference for you but remember you know when he had something like 470 carries when i was or actually no i i think i was still in high school at that point in time i wasn't uh wasn't at ucf then um yeah because um uh latavius murray was actually the running back at the time <laughs> so another nfl product but anyhow you get the point i'm making right you know, george o'leary ran him damn near 500 times and then he had a three-year stint <laughs> in the nfl and this career was done right so that's the one thing you hope know, for uh sincere mccormick's sake because he's had a lot of carries over these three years but Great win for the Roadrunners. Really happy for that fan base and happy as an observer and someone who covers Conference USA because I think they have a really good shot at, you know, making some noise and doing some things as far as potentially cracking the top twenty-five. And more importantly, I'm really looking forward to a showdown with them and UAP. I think that is going to be a hell of a ball game.
1: Yeah, I, I think everybody is. You know, I think I made the uh, the joke in our CUSA West preview show that I feel like I already had that game set to record on my DVR. But, uh, yeah, with UTSA, they just keep, you know, getting better and better and showcasing why they're kind of the talk of the G5 at the moment. Um, if you had to improve anything about this UTSA team right now, what do you think that would be?
0: That's – tough right because i feel like all in all they've put together really solid performances i think and this may be a bit of a hot take and i'm sure jared kalmas and adrian bermudez and you know all the guys greg luca that entire crew who cover um utsa they can push back on this one i guess i expected a little bit more from the secondary considering talented guys like corey mayfield antonio parks rashad wisdom i think they're performing well but i think i, I I guess I expected, you know, maybe a couple more turnovers. just a little more, you know, some gaudy, a little more gaudy production, excuse me, from the secondary. But outside of that, it's kind of hard to nitpick. And I think the offensive line, I want to say, uh, credit this to Greg Luca. I'll come back and credit it and, you know, credit properly if I'm wrong. I believe UTSA's offensive line has only played eight snaps. They're starting five that they in the start of the season with and want to be starting five only played eight snaps together due to injuries and some other circumstances so that's something that you probably want to take a look at as well but outside of that i mean they're finding ways to win ball games and the thing that i think is key joe as someone who covers fiu i look at fiu's 2019 year in which they had all the expectations in the world and went six and seven for me it's one thing to sneak up on people It's another thing to come to the year with expectations live up to them. And that's what I've been really most impressed with UTSA about.
1: Well said, you know, and I think, you know, I I think based on what Jeff trailers, you know, had to say over the course of all this, I I hope he's getting some, you know, consideration as far as, uh, you know, some of these coach of the year conversations. And, you know, when we look at what he's been able to do and what he's been able to help this program bounce back from, I, I hope people are taking that into consideration uh, and knowing how our, our conversations with Jared usually go, I feel like it'll end in a hug anyway. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, but with that, let's, let's jump in to uh, another game on the schedule here. Another close result, uh, Buffalo beating old dominion, 35 to 34. Gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, however you want to describe it for Old Dominion. And it has to be especially frustrating because Old Dominion completely outplayed Buffalo, with the exception of the second quarter, where Buffalo scored 28 points and Old Dominion scored none. But then Old Dominion came back and scored 21, excuse me, scored 27 unanswered points in the second half. And the only reason tied at the end was if they dismissed A.T., with 19 seconds left. So, have to be happy with the progress that Old Dominion showing, especially considering everything that they've dealt with in the last 2-3 years, but at the same time, just that close cuz they should have won this game.
0: Yeah, Joe, this one was really a heartbreaker. It's the reason why I had to note it in my three things we learned about Conference USA. For anyone who did not get a chance to watch this game and just saw the box score, I'll quickly give you a synopsis. As Joe said, ODU really had a tough, you know, second quarter there in which they gave up 28 points. We're down 35-7 at halftime, but DJ Mack really responded really well. The UCF transfer showed that dual threat ability. He has 18 carries for 84 yards, two second half touchdowns. Blake Watson performed really well. You know, the starting running back there, Elijah Lala Davis, um, nine carries for 20 yards. At least they were able to get some production out of Blake Watson there. But Joe, just the heartbreaking way they're able to stop Buffalo get the ball back, drive down the field. DJ Mack throws a touchdown pass to the big 6'8 tight end. His name is escaping me right now. Um, Zach Koontz, the big 6'8", 250-pound tight end in the back of the end zone. 35-34. And listen, bigger, greater scheme of things, let kids celebrate. Let kids be happy, right? I don't care if it's is the NFL, college, or otherwise. But unfortunately, backup quarterback Reese Poffenberger Anyone who's watched football knows, you know, your third and fourth string quarterback, these are the guys signal in plays. So not only are they not, you know, wearing their helmet, they've got that bright hat on, right? So the players on the field can identify them. Uh, Reese Poffinger had a bright yellow hat. And I'm only making mention of this because he was not hard to spot him racing off of the sideline and joining his team in celebration in the end zone. That resulted in a 15-yard excessive celebration penalty, which, as Joe mentioned, Nick Rice is one of the better kickers in all the conference USA. He's a captain on that team. Right. He, 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 I said it. I think I said it to I was watching the game at the time. I said, Oh, this is Nick Rice. He, he'll knock this down. Sure enough. He pushes it wide. Right. And that's just a heartbreaking way for Ricky Ronnie's team to fall short. So big picture let kids celebrate. I mean, you have a great comeback like that. I can't blame the, the red shirt freshman for wanting to join the guys in the end zone, but also, and this is what I noted in my three things. I just felt that kind of resolve, the fact that they were still willing to fight and, you know, found a way to almost tie that game up shows that, Joe, you'll probably agree with this. This was the first real test for ODU, right? When you face a Wake Forest and a Liberty, two teams that a Power Five and Liberty is one of the better teams, although they took a loss, uh, if serves me correct, they lost this past week, but um, they were outmanned, right? And then they took on Hampton, which you would hope that ODU, despite the one year off, should be able to beat Hampton. This was their first real test to see where they were coming off of the year lost. And I was really pleased to see the way they fought. They have a quarterback in DJ Mack. They have some nice, talented pieces, So we'll see how things progress. I, but I think the big thing, if you're an ODU fan, is they're not going to be just a pushover in CUSA East this year.
1: Eric, I don't disagree with what you say about that and that you know the the remaining opponents on their schedule need to be taken seriously. What I will disagree with, sort of, is the concept of the uh, sportsman, like, conduct penalty that inevitably pushed Nick Rice back and how he uh, you know which is you could argue why he missed it if you're in that situation you have to have the wherewithal to realize if you run onto the field at some point and you know engage in the celebration before the game is over you know especially when you're you know you have the hat on and people know you are not part of you know that group of players that took part in the play you have to know something's probably coming like i, I feel like when you reach the division one level there are just certain mistakes when it comes to discipline that you you can't make and that's one of them
0: joe uh so when talking about discipline um i'm someone as you know kind of let our listeners in inside a little bit you know i i try to work out a little bit keep myself in shape yeah i prefer to you know. and uh I say, yeah, you know, I'm not going to have sweets, right? Or I, I purposely keep chips out of my house because I, I just know I'm not disciplined to have one. Joe, the past weekend, I had uh, three brownies and ice cream desserts from, uh, what's that place called? Cold Stone, or I think Cold Stone, right? Who the hell am I to talk about discipline? The, oh, the, the, Joe, here's my big point, right? I, I, I hear you, but we can't apply a level of standards that you or I wouldn't necessarily be uh, uh, able to be held to ourselves, right? Yes. I'm sure there are coaches and you have the get back coach on the sideline and there are coaches who tell them, make sure you don't leave the sideline to celebrate. And then guess what? Your team just came back from 24 down. I I hear you, Joe. And I, I appreciate the point, but if I can't stop myself from having three brownies and ice creams, who the hell am I to tell an 18, 19 year old kid not to go down there and celebrate with his teammates? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, First
1: of all, I too committed to staying in shape because round is a shape. Uh, <laughs> second, yes, talking
0: about the same thing.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're talking about the same thing, though. You know, it's it's one thing to you know have personal discipline, and it's another to understand you know have situational awareness that I feel like you need to be a to be a backup quarterback.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? I I hear you. I genuinely do. I I really do. Right. It's just, there are so many things from my collegiate career, uh, whether (laughs) my one year playing at AI football or just my own collegiate, you know, experiences that it's hard for me to just say, have situational awareness, you know, like I, (laughs) I shouldn't tell this story on the air. Uh, Joe, I drunkenly flirted with one of my college professors after the class was done in front of her fiance. Would have liked to have had situational awareness there, right? I found out afterwards, after my boys were hauling me out of the bar saying, yo, we got to get out of here. I was lacking situational awareness. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just, I'm just saying, I understand, like, you're not necessarily apples to apples, but man, you know, at, 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 at the age we're at now, you know, almost in our 30s, like, that's different than getting caught up in the moment, right? People get caught up in the moment all the time. So uh, yes, I, I, and I'm, listen, I know he won't make that mistake ever again in his career, but it's hard for me to come down and chastise him. Sure. I, I appreciate the insight into, into young
1: Eric Henry. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that point, but um <laughs> you know i don't know since since you shared some personal insight into your own personal discipline really in relation to a college professor i'll uh tell this one about me i had a communications class with a with an older professor that i hated and the class was basically i forget the exact name of the class but the point of it was how to argue how to structure arguments and my final project was i argued that he was a bad teacher <laughs> and i got and i got a B so <laughs> I'll take it. (laughs) But again, would I do that again? No. Would I recommend anybody else do that? No. And being a college professor myself now, I would, (laughs) I'm probably going to get some karma for that down the road. All that to say, Old Dominion's a good football team. They just are, we're just waiting for that one little breakthrough that they need to really be relevant in this USA East discussion again. So we'll see if Ricky Ronnie can get them to that point. All right, so with all that being said let's let's jump into the rice game with uh, Texas Southern. I don't have a ton to say here uh rice wins this one forty eight to thirty four uh the owls get a much needed win. They improved to one and three on the season uh Texas Southern had a pretty furious comeback in the fourth quarter, so this game was closer than the score line would probably indicate uh look rice needed a little bit more of a convincing uh convincing win here when you think about. Mike Bloomgren's job security. I said last week, uh, if they did win this game, I I implied that I thought Mike Bloomgren was gonna get fired if they didn't win. Um, so they get the win, but ultimately if you're only beating, you know, Texas Southern by two touchdowns, then I, again it's a yet another example of, you know, how little Rice uh how little progress Rice has actually made
0: in the last couple of years. Yeah, I know we've run a little bit long in some of our earlier recaps, so I'll kind of make this one short and sweet as far as my Uh, notes to quickly touch on what you said yeah i would have liked to have seen rice win this one a little bit more definitively but the flip side and the positive side is put up 48 points i i do not know off the top of my head when's the last time rice has put up that level of offensive production quarterback it is against an fcs team but jake constantine joe it may be hard to remember a long time ago which was just like the end of uh, the last season (laughs) <laughs> Jay Constantine transferred. It looked like he was going to be the guy, right? And then we had, you know, Luke McCaffrey come in and all of these things. So if he can come in, uh, the former Weber State, uh, Weber State, excuse me, a two-year starter, if he can come in and provide some celebration of quarterback. That'd be nice. Jordan Myers, the Jack of all trades, former tight end. Actually, I believe he's still, you know, dabbling a little bit of tight end, but getting some run at running back. If he can provide a burst, they need that because as we've spoken about, this entire offense is based around being able to run the football, which will help open up things in the past game. Um, so good they got the win because it's better than a loss. But we still need to see a little bit more against tougher competition. Very much agreed there. Uh, so staying uh, on
1: the comp- on the topic rather of Texas teams, let's talk about North Texas and their loss to Louisiana Tech, twenty four to seventeen over the weekend. Uh, Tech gets back to five hundred with this win. Uh, Aaron Allen was the guy under center for the Bulldogs. Austin Kendall was a last second scratch as he kind of deals with an injury. Uh, but Allen did just enough through for 137 yards, did turn the ball over once in a fumble. Uh, and we also saw some of the freshman JD head as well out of Pearl in Texas, who threw a touchdown here. And With this one, like both teams made several mistakes. Um, You know, you can kind of go back and look at the box score to kind of indicate just how many mistakes there really were between turnovers and, you know, missed opportunities in terms of scoring and all that. Uh, It was a close game for all the wrong reasons is how I would describe this contest.
0: Joe, what the hell happened to North Texas' passing game?
1: Uh, Mason Fine lost, (laughs) Seth Luttrell fumbled the bag, and here we are.
0: Listen, I'll say this. I mean, I said that jokingly. Yes, Mason Fine graduated, but they were getting even better production last year when they had Austin Ani. So it's just bizarre. It's almost surreal to read a North Texas box score and or to watch them play and see only 92 yards of passing. Right. So I mean, hey, I'm the one who came here last week and was you know very uh, you know assertive and and you know really direct in terms of my um feelings on the louisiana tech secondary so i got to give them credit because they certainly shut down the passing game but with that being said it's not as if north texas over the past few weeks have shown an ability to really throw the football if they didn't have deandre tory who knows where they'd be and they're really feeling the loss of not having oscar at the third because quite frankly they need as much uh, as much production from the running game as possible but as you mentioned you know with the injury situation there um with uh, Austin Kendall Love to see what happens as far as his availability. I believe he was a game time decision, found out shortly before kickoff that he would not be available. So Aaron Allen has shown himself as a solid number two, never really progressed in last year's quarterback battle with Luke Anthony to kind of show that he could be a QB1. So if Aaron Allen has to play for an extended period of time, that could be really, really something to keep an eye on for Louisiana Tech, but all in all, they got the win and kind of keeps him in the race there yeah for sure and you know I, Austin, I
1: I think he is the guy that I probably stick with that being said you make an interesting point about North Texas's offense like this is a team that we said heading into the year if there's one thing they can do they can score points and they can put up a lot of points in a hurry but point totals from these last couple of games 17 6 against UAB and then just 12 against SMU and then 44 against Northwestern State. So with the exception of playing, you know, a mediocre FCS team, they really have not shown that offensive prowess that has kind of become synonymous with uh, Seth Latrell. But you can admit UAB is a really strong defensive team, and they are, but at the same time, if you're going to, you know, kind of hang your hat on a base kind of air-raidy type offense, you can't only score six points, especially when, your defense is less than mediocre, let's just say. And it's not going to get any – things are not going to get any easier for Texas. You kind of hope that they can pick it up because – mostly because I don't want North Texas fans in my DMs asking me where I live again. That was scary for a while. Uh, But, yeah, you have to imagine like Seth Luttrell's kind of starting to get nervous when he was – you know, the guy on a lot of P5 teams lists for coaching vacancies. And now those offers aren't coming in.
0: Yeah, Joe, it's funny you say all that and all those things are really fair points. The thing that I think is most mind boggling for me, and I'm just going to kind of sum it up, you know, succinctly, North Texas doesn't have an identity. And that is not something you could say about North Texas in the, you know, first four years, or really the second, third and fourth year of Seth Littrell's tenure. They always had an identity, and now they just kind of don't, and that is really interesting. And I'd be interested to keep an eye on that going forward.
1: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if they can kind of recover from the last few weeks. Uh, speaking of needing to recover, let's very quickly talk about Southern Miss and Alabama. Uh, the Crimson Tide when this one 63-14. Again, not too much to say. Southern Miss was contained in pretty much every way. Didn't score until it didn't really matter anymore. Uh Alabama literally dominated from the jump. Uh they ran the opening kickback
0: for a touchdown. So pretty much every second of this game was dominated by the Crimson Tide in some way. Yeah, I won't break into my Stephen A. Smith impression and go roll, tide, roll or anything like that, but um you can't expect much more than this if you're a Southern Miss fan or if you're a Southern Miss player. Ty least he cost two, two touchdown passes, so, you know, that'll pad the stats a little bit. But definitely just be interested to look forward to see what uh, faces them in the upcoming weeks, especially with the quarterback situation with Trey Lowe being a little bit banged up. Let's see what Ty going can do as far as, um, A, holding the fort down, and, B, this is kind of his chance to, you know, show what he has as far as um, his quarterback future. So <laughs> that's my only real takeaway from that one. Nick Saban, hell of a ball coach. I mean, you got to give him that.
1: That he is. Uh, we'll see what Keysley's able to do. Uh, then we had FAU losing to Air Force 31-7, to 446 yards on the ground for Air Force. Uh, for a second, I was like, why is Army wearing blue in this game? Uh, but the Falcons held the ball for twice as long as FAU, uh, like 40-something minutes compared to like 20. And when you only have the ball for 20 minutes, you have absolutely no margin for error, and FAU just made a few too many mistakes.
0: Joe, really quickly here, I mean, there's a couple of things. One, you mentioned only having the ball, the, the ball for 20 minutes. When you play a true triple option team, and Willie Taggart was very assertive in saying that this is the first true triple option team that they'll face this year or, or ha- have faced this year, you're only going to have about seven to nine possessions as is just based on the way they run the football milk, the clock. So you can't start slow. And FAU in each of their ball games this year have started slow. Now they've won two. And they've put up points on the back end and second kind of becoming a second half team. But that's something that I've made mention on, you know, other podcasts that I do. I'm going to make mention of the first time here on CUSA with you. They have the potential to do great things this year, but they've got to start quicker. Yes. They actually got blitzed by this <laughs> triple option attack. I saw Hazeek Daniels, I think the first quarter has him like over 120 yards, right? That's something that while I say is concerning, you're not going to see that offense every year, so there are FAU fans that are probably cursing Pat Chung for scheduling that game before he took off for Washington State. But with that being said, just my big takeaways for FAU, Nicosi Perry, 11-33, that ain't good, um, especially as someone who is very talented like he is, and they have to get out to quicker starts. So those two things will be interesting to keep an eye on, and they'll have a chance to right the ship in the shoeable. Absolutely. And like
1: you mentioned, like Nikosi Perry, he's looked solid throughout this year. But when you only get a very small handful of chances to even get the ball in this game, if you're going to throw an interception and uh, only complete, you know, five out of 14 third downs or convert five out of 13, five out of 14 third downs rather, um, and only throw the ball for 78 yards, um, that's not going to cut it, especially against a well-disciplined team like Air Force. Next, we can talk about UAB beating Tulane 28-21, to another pretty entertaining game from this weekend. Uh, two interceptions thrown by Tulane two- QB, Michael Pratt, were a big difference maker here. Offensively, for uh, the Blazers and Dylan Hopkins specifically, I think it's showing that he's not exactly Tyler Johnson when it comes to throwing the ball, but he's getting the job done, and I will absolutely give him credit for that. All those running backs in UAB stable are performing well, and I think this game uh, was a great example of tight end Garrett Prince not quite getting enough love for what he's brought to the offense so far this season. You saw him in this game with the six catches, uh, caught some touchdowns. He's been getting open successfully in pretty much every game. Um, you know, you go back to UAB's opener. Like, unfortunately, I, I think he's gotten better since that. He had a couple. Touchdown on like routes that he just dropped when Tyler Johnson hit him in the chest,
0: but I think he's gotten better since then, and I think he's an underappreciated DB offense. Awesome. No, listen, it's one of the things that they've talked about since uh, Bryant Vincent's come there. You know, it's really kind of just this evolution in terms of I've made mention of his Boomer Bust passing game, but the fact that he has tried over the past two years to get the tight ends involved more, and you saw evidence of that here. My big takeaways from this one, Joe the passing attack for UAB don't want to say that Tyler Johnson and Dylan Hopkins are interchangeable, but the fact that we're now into the season and they're kind of toying around with a quarterback competition. is interesting. Dylan Hopkins against a very solid two lane team, 19 to 27. It's the one thing that I've talked about is I felt that if they got higher completion percentage out of the passing game, it would really open up things just as a whole for that offense and kind of make UMB, UAB, excuse me, I don't want to say unstoppable, but we know what they can do defensively, although they did lose Chris Mould, who underwent surgery, I believe a surgery on his hand, so we will have to see what his uh, extended future is. I know he's going to miss the the um, the debut of Protective Stadium next week, so I know that for a fact, we'll have to see what it is going forward. But all things considered, when you have Jermaine Brown Jr., Dwayne McBride as far as the backs, you have the big play threats as far as Trey, Trey Shropshire, say that three times fast. Uh, and wide out, and you mentioned Garrett, Pris- Garrett Prince is tied in. Excuse me. I definitely think there's reason for optimism in terms of that, as we said. UTSA, UAB looks to be like a collision course circa Lincoln Park uh, mid-2000s there as far as, you know, uh, what's going to happen there in terms of uh, deciding the CUSA West division title.
1: Excellent. Uh, Lincoln Park, Jay-Z reference there. Uh, Interesting. We were talking about earlier in this show about how the running game can really open up opportunities in your passing game for you. And given the consistency of UAB's running back so far, I think they're probably the best example of that type of strategy um, being run effectively. Because the fact that they have so many good running backs who can take advantage of these giant holes that the UAB offensive line is creating, um, you know, it, it just creates more opportunities for those open on short routes or even the, some of these deep balls that uh, Tropshire has been able to, to reel in and, you know, put points on the board.
0: Joe, let me ask you this. You know, we've seen a lot of TJ3 over the past, you know, two and a half, three years. If Dylan yeah. Hopkins, do you just ride the hot hand if he's able to complete? You know, maybe you don't get the 15 for 30 with the, you know, 280, but if you get 20 or 27 for, you know, 210, you gotta ride the hot hand if you're Bill Clark, no?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know that I disagree with that. Um I think with, with Tyler Johnson, I do think he uh I think he's the better passer, but at the same time, yeah, I agree with you. I think you need to just ride the hot hand with Dylan Hopkins as he's clearly been able to, you know, deal with the the pressure so far. And I think he has enough weapons at his disposal that Not to say you could put anybody back there, but I think, you know, there's enough talent in this backfield and in those tight ends and in these receivers that, you know, they can kind of continue to win games with a second string QB. And I think just, you just don't want, if anything, you don't want to interrupt the momentum that this team is creating for themselves right now. That's a very solid point.
0: Absolutely. And as we've talked about, this may be one of the most complete teams than all of CUSA. The thing that's really hamstrung then was just getting that consistency out of the quarterback position. So if they get that, you know, I'll just look out because this has been UAB's league to lose or UAB's division to lose over the past four years.
1: Yeah, and uh, this season is uh, no different, it would appear. With that, let's talk about uh, Indiana and Western Kentucky as much as I don't want to. Uh, Hoosiers win this one 33 to 31. uh Bailey's Another strong performance for him uh, for 365 yards. uh, Tops run for just 93 yards here. Um, On the Indiana side, Michael Penix Jr. had a career-high 35 completions in this game in addition to 373 passing yards, which was the second-highest total of his career. Uh, And then you also had running back Stephen Carr running in one of the best games of his career, running for 109 yards on 25 carries. When you look at Carr's career at Indiana and the U.S., he's only run for over 100 yards twice. Uh, One was against Stanford back in 2017. Two of this season against Idaho. And if you're Western Kentucky, you don't want to be in the same category as Idaho in any sense. And this is another example of the problem that we talked about on the show for Western Kentucky that I wrote a little column on. Uh, on UDD this week as well the defense is just really <laughs> just letting opposing offenses have career days which makes things all the the more difficult you talk about trying to actually win games and, and position yourself as a division title contender and there's not much balance and you know Eric you To give you credit, you're the one who's been saying this the whole time. If you're going to contend for a division title, especially in in CUSA, you need a balanced attack. And the sad thing is, for Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, if he keeps up this pace, is going to A, set the record at Western Kentucky for passing touchdowns in a single season that Brandon Dowdy set six years ago, seven years ago. And if he keeps up that pace there is a real chance that he finishes in the top three or four in career passing touchdowns, for Western. And he'll only have played there one season. And even with all this, there's a real shot that they win like three games this season.
0: Huh. I'm not as bullish on their win total. I do think Western, I thought, Once you got Bailey Zappi, just based on how good of a quarterback he is, and I was someone who thought he was a really good quarterback from really the word go, I think they'll qualify for a bowl. But your point is talking about competing for a division title and a CUSA CUSA title overall. And the point that I was making and I had made a little bit early on is not necessarily that they can't do it, right? It's just that they're going to break tradition they're going to break the trend if they're going to do it they're going to be the first team to do it what did i say joe i think western kentucky 2015 was the the team that had run for the fewest rushing yards per game and that was 150 something point three where western was at the time i had written that there was something around 70 yards per game i think that number bumped up now to a little closer to 80 so we're going to see what happens but i do think joe we've seen and we have excuse me we have seen enough of a, of a sample size to draw a little bit of a correlation causation here and i definitely want your thoughts on this as our resident western guy the style of offense that they are playing in conjunction with some of the struggles with the run game i don't want to say it's putting the defense in bad positions right but i do think there's some correlation causation between the style of offense they're playing and the defense just being out there for extended periods of time what do you say
1: I don't know that I necessarily, I don't know that I agree with that because I mean, I made the comparison to some of these like big 12 offenses that run, uh, you know, like what we saw out of like Texas tech, uh, Oklahoma state who, uh, throw the ball so many times per game. And I don't think you can make the argument that those defenses are, are bad because they're on the field so much. Um, And even going back in COSA to a few years ago when North Texas did have Mason fine and they were, you know, achieving the level of success that they did on offense. You know, I think it's just a matter of like being able to perform when you need to. And even if they were on the field, you know, more than they should be, which it's, it's not really, I don't think that's the problem. They're still giving up career days against everybody that they've played. You know, Army's quarterback had a career rushing day against them. Keon Howard had one of the better days that a, youth, uh, a UT Martin quarterback has ever had, uh, at least, you know, in the last decade or so when, when they played each other. And Western won that game. I think it just, it just comes down to executing and not getting in these positions where opposing offenses feel like they can do whatever they want. And based on the numbers that I've seen come out of the three teams that they played this year, that's what I think the problem is. They're just not executing, and they're not – more than anything, we talked about it in the Army game specifically where they're just allowing so many yards to just come right at the middle. That, that's really what it is for me. They're just not executing on defense. I don't think, it, I don't think there's really a cause correlation between that air raid type of offense and the subpar defensive performance right now.
0: No, I mean, listen, it's a point you raised and it was something to keep an eye on. Is if, if you want to take a positive for your Western fan, D'Angelo Malone with a sack and a half. It's nice to see that type of D'Angelo Malone type reduction that we expected, you know, definitely since the start of this year. and Of course, last year, getting as many double teams as he has. Antoine Kincaid is a really nice player, one of the better safeties in CUSA. He's racking up the tackles and A.J. Brathaway Jr. as well. So it's not like you don't have talented guys on defense when you lose a, a Clayton White, who's one of the top defensive coordinators, top young Defensive minds in all of college football. You lose him to South Carolina. That certainly plays a factor. So we'll see what happens. But I, I still think Western can accomplish great things. I just think, in my mind now, listen, they're out of out of conference play, and we'll see what happens. But I still think they'll qualify for a bowl. I don't think they're a three or four win team. Um, but right now, you know, is seven wins their ceiling? We'll see. Sure, uh, I might be a little bit too doom and gloom, but like you said, with the
1: departure of Clayton White, you just really want to see them improve quickly and hopefully. Uh, get things on the right track because in in the end, when you have a guy like Bailey Zappi and all the pieces around him and Zach Kitley at the helm of this offense, this offense feels too special to waste on a five and seven season. That's that's the point of what I'm trying to say.
0: One thousand percent agree with you there. I <laughs> got it. Def- definitely agree with you there.
1: So to wrap up the recap of last week, let's talk about UTEP beating New Mexico 20-13. to 13. So the Miners are now 3-1, and, and when you look at their schedule, they might be bowl eligible by mid-October. And Gavin Hardison looked great in the comeback here as he finished 15-29 of 29 for 293 yards, one touchdown, and one interception for him. As he beats another team from his home state on the road, I hope people who are questioning whether or not he should be this team's starting quarterback
0: now realize how how
1: silly that notion was right now.
0: Undoubtedly. And listen, we can have the discussion about how much Gavin Hardison's production is made by having one of arguably CUSA's top three wideouts and Jacob Cowing and a top 10 guy with him and you know Justin Garrett. But he's making the throws. He is gradually improving. You can see the improvement even from last year to this year. now. As we've talked about, the level of competition is still one that will rise and we'll want to see how we can do against CUSA play, especially in the West, when you know you're going to face a UTSA, you know you're going to face a UAB, right? Those are really sturdy defenses. But I don't see anything that makes me think Gavin Hardison can't beat Old Dominion or can't beat Southern Miss or can't beat North Texas or can't play well in Louisiana Tech. And if they're able to get those games, that makes them bowl eligible. So as you said, Gavin Hardison, clearly the guy. And just, Joe, for a second, we could talk about death on this team, right? Yeah, the rushing attack wasn't great. I I don't want to use this this game as a a jumping off point for their run game. But you see Ronald Awad, Deion Hankins, Quadres Wadley, you know, the fact that they have guys there who it's not like a few years back when they didn't have one or two guys. It just was a clear drop off in talent. And then last but not least, want to give credit defensively where it's due. You know, Praise Amahule is one of the better defensive players in all of CUSA. He's really doing a heck of a job. And, you know, guys like Er uh, Divon Ayang as well, you know, guys who've been there for a while, who've suffered through the hard times. It's really nice to see them, you know, get some wins. And like you mentioned, they have a legit shot to get six. Yeah, it has to be
1: immensely rewarding for UTEP fans and that coaching staff in particular. And. I don't. I don't want anybody to get too ahead of themselves because there's still a lot of football left, and UTEP hasn't reached bowl eligibility just yet. But like you mentioned, there's been so much improvement in those guys that have been in this program for two, three, four years. Uh, when you look at where things were, even just a few months ago, people for you know call some people were calling for Dana Dimble to be be ousted as the head coach. Uh, but with with Gavin Hardis in particular, I think he is. A, a shining example of a guy who was there for some of those really bad years, and now it has to be immensely satisfying for him in particular to go into New Mexico State earlier this year, and now go into the University of New Mexico as a kid from Hobbs, a town in the state of New Mexico, to you know help resurrect this this proud program uh, and get them to a point where they're ex- you know <laughs> it doesn't sound like much, but it is to a program that's been down in the dumps for the last decade or so to be in a position where they're expected to win games and they're meeting expectations in that regard. And, you know, when you look at that running game that you mentioned, those guys are improving so so much that I don't know that I expected UTEP's offensive attack to be this balanced so far.
0: Yeah, Joe, and I'll just quickly, you know, kind of put a cap on the point you make with Gavin Hardison. Not only as someone who, you know, he got to the program, I believe in 2019, I think 2018 was his, year at New Mexico Military Institute, but someone who had to go the JUCO route or, you know, the the, the you know, kind of uh, graduate year route to, to get a FBS offer, right? So clearly someone who was not highly regarded coming out of high school in the same way, you know, in terms of his, his additional year, but really showing that he can get it done at this level. So got to feel happy for him. Yep. He,
1: he dealt with the, uh, the tough times. He's now a starter. He's winning games and he didn't even have to go to Bishop Sycamore to get here. So good for him. <laughs> Uh, had to get that in there, but, uh, you know, for a middle segment this week, um, wanted to just, you know, shoot the breeze about, uh, Eric's recent musical discovery of Phil Collins. And that tickled me so much. Just the fact that a, like Phil Collins is this amazing, like award-winning musician and, a, you're just, now dis- you're just now sort of discovering him. B, you're discovering him because you heard him in public so many times. And C, just you saying like, oh, this Phil Collins guy is pretty good. And then the amount of <laughs> old Caucasian people in your mentions who are just like, Sonny, let me tell you something <laughs> about Genesis. <laughs> and
0: uh, I don't know. It made me very happy to read that whole thread. So here's the thing. Anyone, and I think the majority of our CUSA audience is within striking distance of a Publix outside of our friends in Texas, right? I think the majority of our audience has, has a Publix. Now, I don't know what the vibe of Publix is in your Carolinas and Georgias and elsewhere, but in Florida, there is specifically like Orlando South, there is a specific vibe in Publix, which is very 80s Miami uh 80s south florida music you know you're getting a, a lot of you know uh steve winwood uh, a lot of higher love and listen it's not that i had didn't know about phil collins i knew the hits i knew that i mean everyone's heard another day in paradise everyone's heard uh, in the air tonight but it's like every time in Publix now these bangers are phil collins so i've you know hit the whole shazam and it's like easy lover and i was like yo this is phil collins every time it's always phil collins i just wonder what Publix played in the 80s because all they play are 80s music now. So with that, Joe, I did want to transition as we had, a, and you did mention that was the majority of my thread. A lot of uh, friends I've made, uh, older uh, Yusuf alumni who follow me on Twitter were quick to tell me that you know I, I was behind on the times. And I'm sorry, I my age did not begin with a three yet, so I was a little behind. But uh, I will say this. I asked you, and I'm definitely curious your list, and for any of our listeners, feel free to DM us at the UD account or you know at our personal Twitter accounts. Top five songs you hear that instantaneously make you happy. And I will feel free, since I suggested the topic, I'll feel free to lead it off, right? So I'm going to hit you with one that you may be surprised with, Joe. Sweetness, Jimmy World. I am very
1: surprised at that, but that's a very good choice. Okay.
0: Kudos to, you know, the arch rival of my 10th, lighting the Florida Panthers. That is their goal song. If you went to high school in the mid to late 2000s, you heard, you know, a fair amount of like, Rap, hip, uh, rock mix ups, and then like a certain vibe of like alternative music, right? That, that, Jimmy Eat World, you say alternative, right? That'd be the correct genre? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, like, so yes, uh, <laughs> very much in my wheelhouse. I hear Jimmy Eat World. I'm, I'm happy, right? I heard in the gym earlier today, just, you know, gave me a little bit of extra boost to get through that workout. Um, Coolio, Gangsta's Paradise. If you don't hear Gangsta's Paradise and automatically, like, you know, just wanna just vibe, I can't rock with you. Here's another one return of the mac if you don't hear that whoa, whoa and like that just intro to return of the mac and you don't automatically feel happy I can't vibe with you like my man that is the hardest like open to like a debut song ever he came out strong so I gotta have shout out return of the mac and then you know I was kind of up in the air at my last two right but if you went to college in the early twenty tens early early twenty tens to mid twenty tens you gotta have a little wayne or Drake song on there so I decided to a uh, combine them both. I went She Will. Like, She Will, you know, that's just a house party vibe right there. It was Tormpton Lollipop, because Lollipop is another one that, like, if you were in college at that era and you went to a house party, you heard instantaneously sorority girls started just feeling the need to dance. You know, even the ones who couldn't dance, they started dancing, like, just you know, good vibes there. Um, but I went with Lil Wayne and Drake. And my fifth, um, I had to go start it from the bottom. Again, same era of college, started from the bottom. Now we hear, like, it doesn't matter. I knew kids who went to UCF who started from the top and they were there, but they vibed and started from the bottom. So that's my top five.
1: <laughs> it's funny with the, with started from the bottom, how like everybody vibes with that song. Even people who clearly, like you said, know nothing about starting from anywhere but the top, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is very funny to me. Gangsta's Paradise, of, of course. And then uh, with Return of the Mac, I don't, I don't think I realized that it was his debut song, which is very funny because it's literally called Return of the Mac, which is just, I don't would know, you, that's would, that's very would, funny to would, me. Would you like to know a fun fact about Return of the Mac, Joe? Of course I would like to know a fun fact about Return of the Mac.
0: The Mac, as I would learn, because I am a 90s trivia nerd, I mean, I was like eight at the time when Mac came out, I remember it's was like seven. Um, yeah. The Mac had just gotten out of jail to record that song and then shortly after recording his debut hit, went right back to jail. So the Mac had some struggles. So That's what was returning to Mac. He was back on the streets, you know? He was literally back on the streets.
1: So the Mac had several returns. He returned to the street and he returned to jail, returned to the, the streets again at some point, I'm assuming.
0: The Mac had some struggles during that, uh, that time period, but still a great song. <laughs> that,
1: that it is. I like that song a lot. Um, Real quick on oh, before I was before I uh, get to uh, my songs, because none of them are Phil Collins, but I, I do want to touch on Phil Collins. Um, it's funny that you had this recent connection to Easy Lover, which is such a good song. Um, I know you don't watch Ted Lasso, but that song is kind of a plot point on that show right now. So I'm assuming it's on a lot of people's minds. Um It's like his like hype up song in the morning. That's like what he listens to when he gets ready for the day. Um, But anyway, that very good song. Um, Don't Lose My Number is fantastic. You mentioned In the Air, In the Air tonight. hear that at stadiums all the time. And dude, have you heard the Tarzan soundtrack? I need to ask you this.
0: Everyone's been telling me to listen to it. so I will make a point this weekend as a music connoisseur to listen to the the, uh, Tarzan soundtrack.
1: At my upcoming wedding, my first dance with my mom is going to be to a song from the Tarzan soundtrack that Phil Collins sings. Uh,
0: Yes. Don't don't ruin it. I'll be be there. I don't want to ruin the the, uh, surprise.
1: Don't ruin the surprise. Okay. So it's a very, yeah. Not only is it banger, some of those songs are very sweet, especially played in the context of that movie. But anyway, um, songs that put me in a good mood. Uh, First one is uh, Superman by Goldfinger which uh i think some people will will recognize as like the opening song to tony hawk's pro skater those old video games yeah um yeah yeah, so nice little again alternative rock for me um some of these i think you're going to be surprised by uh pony by Genuine is my second one
0: that of course of course
1: yeah that that puts you in a good mood uh also a parks and rec reference (laughs) uh whiskey's gone by zach brown band which i i doubt i don't know if you know but it is it's a it's a fun drinking song um and gets to the point where you would imagine a large caucasian dude would sound when after six or seven whiskeys (laughs) 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 uh x gonna give it to you very good pump up song uh and then lately uh i'm gonna have to bleep this but thought by Megan the Stallion ah okay
0: I'm not <laughs> mad at that I'm not mad
1: at. yeah that. yeah you know like it's at my recent bachelor party uh I was like yeah add to the playlist whatever I don't care and then someone put that on there I was like
0: I'm into this <laughs> so there's, there's no shame Megan the Stallion has bangers there's no shame it, it's yeah. it's one of those things that like you don't necessarily know if you would listen to Megan by yourself, but if you're out and the the situation calls for it, you gotta get a couple drinks, you're hanging out. It's good vibes. I can't hate on Meg. I can't hate on Meg. And since you mentioned X I'm gonna give it to you, one that narrowly missed my list, party up by DMX. I mean that one's just instantaneously just great vibes as well. Yeah, truthfully,
1: there were a few different ones by DMX that I uh debated putting on there when you proposed this this conversation. Uh that was on there. Rough Riders Anthem, of course. course. Um, Party up, yeah. Man, rest in power. He had some, he had some bangers as well. Have you watched his Chappelle Show performance recently? Not recently, but I I have seen it. Yes. Where he just like jumps in and out of his different songs with the DJ. Yes. Yes. Uh,
0: uh,
1: Yeah, I love DMX. Yeah. So that's uh, a little insight into our taste in music, which I really had to debate whether or not because I my day job out here in Portland. I work in like promotions with a lot of the like punk rock type scene. And I was like, if I just start naming some of these bands that I have to listen to for work, people are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Like music that like six people in in Portland, Oregon are actually going to (laughs) know. But yeah, when I talk about music that other people have actually heard before, that's that's what comes to mind for me. <laughs> there we go.
0: Love, love the list. Love the we world. to you know collaborate there a little bit. I I'm, I'm feeling that. Uh and then
1: jumping into previews for next week, uh Charlotte at Illinois, noon Eastern on Big 10 Network. Illinois minus 11 heading into this game. Let me be the first to pick Charlotte for an upset here or at least the first one on this show. Um look, I I love what I've seen out of Charlotte so far. They do have to defend the run game better as we've mentioned a few times, but uh, Illinois is not that good. And uh, look, I, Charlotte has too much fight for uh, this opportunity to slip them up, in my opinion, and they get their second power five win in program history and also their second power five win
0: of the season. Listen, I cannot go that far only because, as I mentioned, Charlotte, when they have faced teams who have shown any semblance of being able to run the football, They have struggled. So I am going to pick Illinois, although the CUSA homer and me would love nothing more for Charlotte to get the upset and carry that momentum into next week when they take on excuse me the week after next, I should say, when they take on an FIU team that they've never beaten as a program. But we will see what happens. But uh, I'm taking the Illini.
1: then we have the Shula Bowl, which I know you'll be at, Eric, FIU at FAU, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Stadium, FAU favored by 10 and a half heading into this one. Uh, look, I think both these teams kind of have their issues right now, but uh, for right now, I think I'm going to go ahead and pick FAU. I think Nikosi Perry is going to rebound a little bit from the, uh, you know, the issues that he had against Air Force. Um, I'm especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'm, I'm frustrated by what I've seen out of FIU so far. Uh, I do think we'll see a little bit of bounce back from them on the offensive end, but you know, ultimately, for whatever reason, FIU just isn't really stepping up when they need to. So, give me the Owls.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the defense. For, for all intents and purposes, they've performed fairly well. It's just a matter of when that offense stalls out, man, that defense is hung out to dry, and unfortunately they haven't been able to carry the load for you know uh, the entire four quarters. I will take FAU. I just think that they're due for a bounce-back game. And, Joe, you want to talk about a situation where uh, it's going to be storylines to watch, right? If FAU were to lose this game, they would go to 2-3 and three on the year. And you know, not to say that you have any conversation about Willie Taggart. I don't because you can look at Florida State and tell – Willie Taggart won the issue there. Um, however, FAU fans will certainly be disappointed uh, two and three coming off the success they had with Lane Kiffin. Of course, with FIU and Butch Davis, you know, a friend of the podcast and someone who I routinely cover, uh, he's not looking to go one and four um, to uh, you know start the season and, and he's entering the final year of his contract. So uh, if you go one and four, I, I've been on the record of saying that this stretch really is one that they didn't need to go one and three entering because the season only gets tougher with Charlotte, Western and Marshall. Yeah, there's a lot at stake in this game, uh, so
1: we'll be uh, tuning into Stadium to see that. And then we have Louisiana Tech at number 23, NC State at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Wolfpack favored by 19 and a half heading into this game. Uh, I don't think NC State's going to have too much trouble here. We saw them uh, play really, really well against Clemson last week. Uh, Louisiana Tech um, I think they're starting to get a little bit of their mojo back but I think between the you know injuries that uh, they keep running into with their quarterbacks and just kind of the inconsistency that we've seen on defense uh, I don't really have any hesitations about picking
0: NC state here same and the reason I don't have any issues is we don't know the stats of Austin Kendall right now if it's going to be Aaron Allen or JD head just don't see enough there from the tech uh, from tech quarterback situation to think that they'll be able to compete in Raleigh so I'll take the wolf back
1: then we have UTSA hosting UNLV at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. UTSA favored by 21 points heading into this game. Uh, I've been really, really happy with how UTSA has performed so far. Uh, when you look at some of UNLV's results from the season so far, haven't been exactly stellar. Lost to Eastern Washington earlier in the year. Uh, had a few other losses as well, but... You know, I think really it's less that UNLV is bad, and I think UTSA is just playing really, really solidly right now, especially with the fact that uh, they're playing at home. I see no reason UTSA stumbles here.
0: No, I mean I agree with you, and I think UTSA is really good. I do also think UNLV <laughs> under Marcus Arroyo they got a long way to go, so they are you know not necessarily the best team in FBS football. So give me UTSA. The <laughs> homecoming of Tate Martell has been less than stellar. I will I will <laughs> say that.
1: Southern Miss at Rice, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Rice favored by two and a half. Uh, you know, I think this is one of those games that's going to be close for all the wrong reasons. Um, if Rice finds itself in the situation where they can't establish the run, then they're going to be in trouble. That being said, I don't think they're going to run into that specific problem against this Southern Miss defense. I do think it's going to be close, but I think Rice is going to be able to pull this one out.
0: I was really torn on this one as I had to make a selection, Joe, but you know what? I am going to take Southern Miss. I just have not seen enough from Rice consistently against good competition this year to make me feel solid. And I think Southern Misses do. Listen, I know they have tie keys. That's going to be an interesting plot line, but I just think with Jason Brownlee and Frank Gore juniors, some have a talent they have. I think Southern Misses can go in there and get the upset. So I'll take the uh, Golden Eagles
1: yeah it'll be close i think the score line is is two and a half for a reason so excited to see how that game unfolds then we have marshall at middle tennessee state at 7 p.m eastern on stadium marshall favored by ted heading into this game i am very curious to see how mtsu responds following last week's loss that being said i think i don't hear my dog growl right now (laughs) anyway sorry um I think what we're going to see here from MTSU is another strong day from Chase Cunningham. I do think it's going to be a very big test for MTSU's offensive line, given what Marshall has put forward so far in terms of their, you know, the production of their defensive line. But I do think Marshall has just more in the tank. I don't really think defensively they have much of a, uh, you know, solution to stop Marshall's running game, particularly Ali. So, yeah give me the herd for this one, I, but I do think we 're going to see you know another strong example of hey Chase Cunningham, you know doing the best he can with what he 's got, and very quietly, Reed Blankenship has been having another stellar year on defense for MtSU, just racking up tackles, but again, if you 're a safety, you shouldn 't be your team 's best tackler, <laughs> but anyway, kudos to him for doing what he 's done so far
0: Joe, this will be to come back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast as far as Middle Tennessee. It's going to be a test to see, can they get the running backs going? I just do not believe that, as currently constituted, MTSU's offense will be enough to win games if Chase Cunningham is having to do both the passing and the rushing. They're going to have to get Shaitan Mobley, um, I'm Yusuf Ali. Shaitan Mobley, we got Yusuf Ali, Rashan Ali. Yusuf Ali is a Middle Tennessee Blue Raider. He's just a wide receiver. So we'll do this again. They have Shaitan Mobley, uh, Amir Rasul, and Martel Petway. They got to get those guys going. Because they're going to be able to need going to need to be able to control the clock. So if they can do that, they'll have a chance. But I'll take Marshall. Then we have uh,
1: what's probably going to be the game of the weekend, honestly. Liberty at UAB. I believe this is the opening of UAB's new stadium at 7 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. UAB favored by one and a half heading into this game. Oh, man, look, I'm going to take UAB. Um, Malik Willis on Liberty is really really solid. So obviously the key. For This one is containing him and making sure that he doesn't you know, continue to be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and probably a first-round pick if he keeps it up. Um, but defensively, I think UAB have performed really, really solid. I think if they can replicate what they've done the last couple of weeks, that'll be a step in the right direction. And as with most of their games, there's really no room for error on the offensive style. That is when UAB is on offense. But we're going to need Dylan Hopkins to just continue to perform at the level that he's performed at so far, and just not take a step back. But thankfully, with how well the running backs have produced, and like we talked about earlier, the you know improvement that uh, the receivers have shown in the past game, and the tight ends as well, I think UAB can get it done here.
0: Listen, I would feel much more comfortable if Chris Mull were playing just because I think it's going to be all hands on deck against a talent like Malik Willis and some of the guys they have there as far as the offensive weapons. But I'm still taking UAB. I don't think there's any way that given the momentum that Bill Clark and this program have built, not just this year, not just last year, this moment, this Saturday has been building since the day that Ray Watts walked into that locker room and told those players that football was no longer a thing so this is going to be a celebration for uab a celebration for bill clark who stayed the entire time and a celebration for the faithful uh, uh birmingham who are hardcore uab fans so i don't think there's any way they lose given all those things not that emotion coming into play so give me uab and i hope you know i know uh uh you know uh, ray watts is still the the present there at uab you know all things end well things that you know luckily everything's ended well but i hope they play that as part of some montage of like moments that have led up to this moment because it, it really has played a factor in what you see today
1: absolutely uh can't really afford to miss that game if you just like uh a good narratives within football and good football in general and then we have western kentucky at number 17 michigan state at seven thirty p.m eastern on fs1 uh, msu favored by 10 and a half heading into this game Uh, look, here's a little stat about Michigan state for you. They have 215 rush yards per game this season. Uh, We just got done talking about how Western Kentucky really needs to step up uh, defending the run specifically, and just not allowing uh, these solid offenses that they have left on their schedule to continue to have career days as they've done against army, Indiana and UT Martin. And Hopefully, they take a step in the right direction and don't let them have a career day. But that being said, I think Michigan State's a little a little too tough to expect Western Kentucky to do anything
0: but keep this game relatively competitive. I agree with you. I think if Western, if they can kind of hit them early, right, and get out to a good start, especially with the air raid, Maybe they have a shot, but this is a really good Michigan State team, and I think that the Spartans will take this one. Then we have, uh, to close
1: out the slate, we have Old Dominion at UTEP, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Miners favored by 5.5 heading into this game. I think that's fair, given the improvement that we've uh, talked about with UTEP. I, I think they will come into this game ready to go and get it done. That being said, Old Dominion um, – They have shown a lot of improvement very quickly as well. I think this is going to be a close game. I think Old Dominion covers that five-and-a-half-point spread that Vegas has set. But I think uh, UTEP
0: gets this one done, improves to 4-1, and and only two wins away from bowl eligibility. I will be really interested in this matchup, Joe, and likely I should have a chance to catch it since it starts at 9 o'clock. should be more than back from the stadium by that point in time especially because of the things that you just mentioned. We talked about ODU really having a chance to get out there and show that they are a much improved team. Uh, And, you know, in terms of just what we saw the opening weeks, this is a chance for them where they'll be evenly matched up, right? Look across the board. Nowhere is ODU seemingly overmatched outside the fact that UTEP played football last year. For UTEP, this is the game that they need to win to show they are not the UTEP of the past. They cannot have a slip-up at home against ODU. They win this one, as you mentioned, two wins away from bowl eligibility give me the minors
1: should be a very entertaining slate once again uh so that's our preview of week five. Come on back next week as we recap all the action from this upcoming weekend and talk about week six uh, a little more. Uh, feel free to check out UDD, uh, underdogdynasty.com. That's our that's our site name if you haven't figured that out by now. Uh, for more G5 football content every day uh, and follow Eric and myself on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. Feel free to tell us how much you love and or hate horror, taste in music as well. Um, And yeah, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, subscribe on Apple. If you're new here, we we do this every week and just talk about uh, the G5 football landscape. Uh, We have two other shows, the Sunbelt and uh, the AAC show as well. Check those out too. Uh, Happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe. We will talk to you very soon.